Heavenly Father, we worship you this evening. We praise you for you alone are worthy of all praise and honor and glory. As we reflect on the cross and what was accomplished there, we pray that we would be reminded of the gospel truth, that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son to die and take away our sins. May we remember that and live in the reality of that truth tonight and forever. Amen. Why don't you say hello to those around you before you have a seat. Well, welcome to Maranatha, and welcome as well to those who are worshiping with us online. Uh, for those who are worshiping with us online and maybe haven't been able to rejoin us, we miss you, and we're uh, so glad that you are um, able to join us at least online, and we look forward to the time in which that you can join us in person again. It is great to be together for those who are able to be here worshiping our one true God uh, together as one body in Christ. Um, just as a reminder, we have uh, an avenue through our website for submitting prayer requests. So if you have prayer requests, either praises or needs that you want us to be praying for together as a church body, we encourage you to click on the link on the website and submit those. We uh, definitely want to be praying for one another through um, all times, but especially during these times. And uh, just also a reminder that our offering collection box is out in the, off in the lobby out there. A few specific announcements. We have Sunday school starting tomorrow. So our kids' programming typically takes the summers off, and because of COVID and everything, it uh, things have been different. But we are meeting face-to-face. -face. Uh, Awana kicked off and youth group kicked off last Wednesday, and tomorrow we have our Sunday school for um, children as well as youth during our 1030 service over in our ministry center building. In terms of nursery... Some people have been asking about that. At this point, we're not planning to offer nursery care, um, but the nursery room itself will be available for any families uh, as we're worshiping and if they have little ones with them and want to uh, step out or need to step out for a moment for whatever reason, they can do that. And, and the audio of the sermon and the worship are in, in that room, so you can still participate as well. So we just want to make sure people are aware of that, that uh, we're not offering nursery, but the room is available. Um, we have men's hangout, which is actually happening tonight. So after this service, gentlemen, if you are interested in hanging out for an, another hour, fellowshipping with some other men, uh, that will be in the fellowship hall. And so we invite you to, to hang out with us for that. Uh, we have men's breakfast as well that's going to be on the 19th. And Gary Moore, one of our um, members here at Maranatha, he's going to be sharing some of his story on September 19th, 7 to 8 a.m. Um, for the men's breakfast. We could still use a couple volunteers for Sunday school, so it is kicking off, and we do have uh, leaders in the rooms, but uh, Pastor Aaron would love, love, love to have a few more greeters, and so if you are able to open a door and able to smile, you're hired. Oh. Well, you may still have to go through the background screening and check, but he would love to have additional help, and whatever you're able to do, a lot of people will do maybe once a month on, in a rotation. Uh, if you can't do that often or if you want to do more, he'd be happy to have your help. So talk to Pastor Aaron if you are interested in helping in that way. Um, that's, I think, one of our last gaps to fill for our volunteer needs going into this fall ministry season. Uh, we had um, 
Uh, uh, every, every Sunday or every weekend when we gather together, we try to uh, celebrate something as well. And so one of the things that we decided at staff meeting this week is we want to celebrate some of the, the activities that the youth were able to do amidst a, a unique summer. And so as a couple of photos will uh, scroll up there, one of the events we did, Pastor Cody and Pastor Eric uh, were able to help me uh, take some youth and throw them off a cliff. And no one died. So it was a great rock climbing, rappelling trip over at Interstate State Park um, by Taylor Falls there, and so that was one of our events. We also, uh, more recently, did a canoe trip up in uh, the Superior National Forest near Ely, Minnesota, and we had a, a group of nine of us that were doing that, three adults, Mich Michelle, myself, and John Peterson, and then uh, six students, and we had a wonderful time getting some good exercise, portaging the canoes across the portages, and uh, the ladies, or someone on one of the lakes counted over 1,000 paddles to get across the one lake. Uh, but it was just great times having some conversations around the campfire. We, um, every time we had a meal, we tried to have a conversation about something meaningful. And I told them, ask your questions, spiritual questions. So um, we, I, I told some people after the trip that we solved the Calvinism-Armenian debate um, on our canoe trip. So it was a very successful canoe trip. Um, but no, we, we did talk about that, but we had a wonderful time together as a, as a group. And uh, in regards to uh, Soul Garage ministry, a couple events coming up that I wanted to s add into our announcements here as well is that we have Fall Retreat is still on. Our District Youth Conference has been canceled. Um, that's normally in January, but our Fall Retreat is still on, and that's October 2nd through 4th at Camp Shamina over in Minnesota. And uh, the brochures are available in the lobby at the connecting point there. So we have brochures for, for both of these uh, two events I'm about to mention. So the Fall Fling um, brochures right here, and it mentions in there, just want to make sure I say it correctly, but the September 16th is our deadline for signing up for that. And then our other event, which is a new event, is an apologetic student ministry conference. And that's something that is going to tie into a theme for our whole year of, of focusing on apologetics and training our students to stand up for and defend their faith. And the Student Apologetics Conference is um, over in Minnesota as well, but the, the early bird registration for that is tomorrow. So families, if you have um, teens, and this is not just for teenagers, um, parents are invited to come and join as well. Uh, you can check out our Soul Garage website where we have a link. People can sign up on there. Price will go up $15 after tomorrow for that event. I think those are all the announcements, and so I invite Pastor Cody to come and uh, bring the word for us this evening. I need to let you know I have a few problems. One of them will be evident tonight. This is my first time preaching with my new glasses with these, what are these things called? Bifold, old man glasses. So you'll have to see me kind of trying to determine the depth of things here. But I really, I really do have three problems. The first one is this. It's my fallen condition. And this is something that we all have. But for me, this is truly a problem that I have with me. I don't live up to the perfect standard that we ought to. There's no way. I, I have this fallen condition and this standard that, and it's seen in many ways. Ask my family. I have a fallen condition. Ask your family. You have a fallen condition. It's seen in many ways. One of the primary ways I saw this 
is that I wasn't good enough is when I went to college, the first day of college, I got there and I met the dean of the school, which most people would be like, oh, that's exciting, but for me it wasn't. The dean handed me a sheet of paper and said, you're already on probation. What? We looked at your grades in high school. She had this look like, how did you even graduate? And automatically you're accepted, but you're automatically on academic probation. Here you are. Hope you make it kind of a thing. I was like, great! Thanks a lot for the encouragement. But there's more. Not only do I have a fallen condition, I am also guilty. I am guilty. From the moment I was born, I was born into this guilt that I got from Adam. And it's evident in my life. It's evident in your life too. In fact, I'm going to share this story so kids know that this is not what you should be doing. When I was just out of high, well, yeah, I was in high school. It was my senior year. It was about this time. I thought of this when I was thinking of this time. The seasons change. Everyone's getting ready for all the festive stuff, hot cider and pumpkins. And I remember going with my friends. It was about ten o'clock at night, and we thought, you know what? Let's go to the rich side of Appleton, where all the nice homes were and all the fancy homes. And we drove around, and they had just piles of nice pumpkins on. I said, you know what we should do? Have you guys seen Robin Hood? Anybody seen Robin Hood? Okay, no story. So I was like, let's be Robin Hood. Let's take some of these pumpkins and go to the poor part of town and give them to the homes. We'll drive around and find a house that's got a bunch of toys and no pumpkins, and we'll give it to them. Now, each house that we took pumpkins from, we didn't take all of them. We left some of them there. So we stole pumpkins, and we redistributed them to those who had no pumpkins. Guilty. Back that night, at midnight, there was a knock at the door. And a police officer, as I opened the door, I was like, uh-oh, guilty. They got a phone call that there was a car driving around taking pumpkins. They got the plates, found us, and we sat with the officer and I said, yep, I'm the one who drove. I'm the guilty one. Kids don't do that. We have a fallen condition. We're also guilty, but there's more. Out of those two things, I'm condemned. It's over. I deserve condemnation. I'm condemned. This rebellion goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden in which Adam and Eve in the beauty of the presence of God, they went against God, their Maker. And this rebellion exposed their guilt and condemnation. But this same fate is for all of us, not just me. If we had time, we won't do this. We could all go around and tell stories of how we have a fallen condition how we're all guilty, and how we deserve condemnation. What do I need the most with these three problems? What I need the most is righteousness. The sole grounds in which I can stand before the holy God of this universe and what is central to the understanding of the Gospel found in Scripture is the righteousness of Christ. 
that's what we need the most. Let's pray before we get into Scripture. Father God, I know that we have many problems in our world. And we live in this day and age where it's so easy to point fingers at, oh, because of my parents, I'm this way. Or, oh, because of society, we're this way. It's our upbringing. But in reality, we all have this fallen condition. And we are all guilty. And we deserve truly the wrath of God. And what we need most is the righteousness of Christ. And as we study in the Old Testament tonight, I pray that You would guide us. So as we look at our fallen condition, as we look at our guilt, as we look at condemnation, we can boldly think of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So guide us, I pray, in this study. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So we are back to our study of Christ in the Old Testament. And we've taken two weeks of a break of that. Now we're back in our study. And we are finishing up with Jeremiah here for a couple weeks, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. And then we'll do a summary of our two-year study that we've been doing. So if you got your Bibles, let's go to the book of Jeremiah. And you know we haven't been going book at a time as we would page through Scripture. What we did is we jumped to the minor prophets that are at the end of the Old Testament for our summer series. Now the three books that we didn't skip over on purpose, but we on purpose did this so we can end with this. Jeremiah. We're going to be taking a few weeks looking at Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of those books that is full of wonder and beauty. And as we will see in the next couple of weeks, he's called the weeping prophet. In fact, if you look in your Bibles, there's Jeremiah, then there's Lamentations. He also wrote that. They go kind of hand in hand, and we'll finish our study in Jeremiah seeing that. But Jeremiah also has a major, a few major direct prophecies concerning the Messiah, Christ Jesus our Lord. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to cover that as we study. So take your Bibles and go to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah, and I'll talk more about his story, his situation, and his audience more next week and the week to follow. But Jeremiah prophesies in the days leading up to the exile. So it's very fitting as we've gone through the minor prophets, we understand that. And we know that Judah was exiled into Babylon. And then they were taken into captivity. And Jeremiah was at the time when they came and took them away. And he tried to warn them about that, but the people did not listen. Like the major prophets, his message uncovers their rebellious hearts, their fallen nature, their guilty, and condemnation is rightfully due them. But there's promise in this book. So let's take a look at this. At this time, we realize the kings did not follow God. And if you recall, when we studied First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, the Chronicles, we saw there's so many bad kings, only a few righteous kings. Take a look at verse 1 and 2. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering my sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. 
Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care upon them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. Again, like the minor prophets, Jeremiah is trying to warn them, saying, leaders, listen, you haven't taken care of the people and you need to take care of the people. But there's a promise. Look at verses 3 and 4. All right, I'm going to try to put the glasses on to use these things. How many of you have these? Five? Okay, you know the struggle. Okay, here I go. All right, look at verses 3 and 4. I myself will gather the remnant of the flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pastures, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them. They will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. So here the Lord through Jeremiah says, guess what? Kings, leaders, even the religious leaders of the time, you have failed to care for the people. Judgment is coming upon you. But I'm not going to leave the people alone. In fact, I will take care of them. I will tend to them. I will bring other shepherds to take care of them because you're not doing your job. In fact, He Himself would shepherd them and take care of them. And He would then bring, as we've seen in the prophets here, a Messiah. In fact, let's look at a very specific prediction here found in verse 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So the days are coming. I looked it up 15 times in Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, the days are coming. Remember, that is our hope. There's coming a time. We have the Messiah. Here's specifically about the days of the Messiah. But for us, the day of the Lord, when the Messiah will come again, His second coming. But here, we're talking about the first coming. God would rise up a leader from the line of David where others have failed. And this righteous branch, He's called here, would be ultimate ruler. All the other rulers have failed, but this righteous branch will do it, and it's the Messiah. And the picture of the righteous branch found in the Old Testament is a term used for the Messiah. The one who would come, sprout from. Here's this tree, this lineage of David, and out of it will sprout this branch will come from David's line, and he'll be the Messiah. Zechariah 3.8 says this, symbolic of things to come, I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Or Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. There will be one coming from the line of David. And the Lord will install this future king from David's line. And he'll be like no other king. He'll be the one that will take care of the people. In fact, take your Bible and go to the first verse in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. Alright, I'm ditching these things. Matthew chapter 1. Here is 
sometimes when we read through the Bible, we read, get to parts where there's genealogies. You're like, oh, do I got to read this genealogy? There's so much in there. One of these days, I'll just do a study on the importance of the genealogies and all the different aspects of them. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 1, has this here. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, or we could say the branch of David, the Son of Abraham. Then go down to verse 17. Thus there are 14 generations, all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the, what's the word there? Christ. Messiah. So here, Matthew's going, yes, this royal branch, this son of David here, is going to be this branch, this Messiah. But there's more. Let's move to the next verse. And the next verse has what to me is just the most amazing aspect of this section here. Take a look at verse 6. Let's go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, verse 6. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. A little background here. So at the time, there's many bad kings. Zedekiah is a bad king. He's a bad king. He's corrupt. He's wicked. He's got this fallen nature. He's guilty all the time. He should be condemned. He's a bad, bad king. But here, we have a play with words. Zedekiah's name in Hebrew means the Lord is righteousness. And truly, King Zedekiah is far from righteousness. So here he's got this name, righteousness, but he's not even righteous or just at all. He's far from, he doesn't live up to the meaning of his name. What is needed is one who will truly be just, who will truly be right, who will be the opposite of Zedekiah, a king who would do what is right. So this prophecy tells of a coming king who will be the opposite of the kings of the time who were fallen, who were corrupt, who were guilty. The future king would have a righteous rule. And this righteous branch would be righteous. Here's the definition of righteousness. The conformity to God's holy standard and moral perfection. Someone is coming who will be totally moral, totally perfect, unlike the kings they have. But there's more. It's not just the quality of character ascribed to the Messiah. Oh, he's righteous. He's going to be great. But look at what your Bible says. It is also a name that he'll be known for. The Lord, our righteousness. He has the title, the Lord, our righteousness. And this name signifies that the Messiah is divine. In fact, a little side note. If I ever get the cults that knock on my door and say, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, here's another Bible that you should read or another writing. And I always go right to Jesus. Well, Jesus was a good prophet. I'm going, oh, really? We well, got the Old Testament there. Let's look at this verse. Look, the Messiah, Jesus, is divine. 
This demonstrates that it's God Himself. This is His name. This, ver- this verse again talks about the divinity, the Godness of this Messiah. But there's more. We have this fallen condition. We are guilty. We deserve condemnation. And what we need the most is found in verse 6. Look at it again. It says this. This is the name by which He will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. Notice it doesn't say the Lord is righteous because that His attribute, of course. The Lord is the One who is righteous. It says what? The Lord, our righteousness. Here's what I wrote down. His name is what we need the most. He is not only righteous, He is our righteousness. Righteousness is His character and signifies His work for us. Why? Because we are like that king, Zedekiah. Totally a failure. You and I can hold up signs like these all day going, yep, here's all my problems. You know, I could say all this stuff. We truly need righteousness. We need a righteousness that is outside of ourselves. And Jesus is our righteousness. This is the central Gospel message of the Bible. And Jesus and His righteousness that became our righteousness is the true key to understand the Gospel. So why is it important that Jesus has this name that He is our righteousness? Why is it important that Jesus is our righteousness? Well, we see this explained in the book, my favorite book, Romans. So get your Bibles and go to Romans. Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 16 and 17, and then into 18, talks about this great God who is righteous, but because of the sinfulness of man, there's a problem. The nature of God is that He is righteous. Again, Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. And then verse 18 talks about the wrath of God because God is holy, completely righteous. The human condition is sinful. We are guilty. and We deserve condemnation. And then Paul, from verses 19 or verse 18 all the way to 320, describes our condition. We are totally unable to do it we cannot do we have this corrupt nature and there's this righteous anger from god against sin but then we get to chapter 3 verse 21 so here's the section again if you recall i go to this section every year in luther's bible that's probably locked away under glass and whatever in geneva somewhere His original Bible written at this paragraph is this. The central theme of this whole epistle, if not the whole of Scripture. So here it is. Now we get to the Gospel message. There's condemnation. There's failure. We can't do it. Here it is. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. See, that's what we need. The righteousness of God. And it's been made known to which the law and prophets testify. 
basically you can go through the Old Testament and see that the law, the prophets, testify of this righteousness of the Messiah. That's why we took two years doing this. Again, look at this. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. Here it is. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Then here it is, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to receive by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness. And the Now, we as Protestants, we as evangelicals, evangelical is another word for gospel. We, we, we love the gospel message. We always say this, we, and it's great we say this, Jesus had to die for our sins. Amen? But there's more. Not only did Jesus have to die for my sins, He had to live also for our righteousness. All His righteous deeds fulfilled the law that could never be kept. The only way that we can be accepted by God is when God sees us not as guilty, not as sinners, not condemned, and not as our own righteousness. Because our righteousness is horrible. We can't do it. But God, when He looks at us to accept us, what does He see? He sees the righteousness of Christ on us. God reckoned or counted our sins to Christ and God reckoned and counted His righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, to us. This is how our sins are fully forgiven and we are fully accepted by God. How? By the righteousness of Christ. This is the Gospel. In fact, take your Bibles and let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 19. Or even jump ahead. All this, is from Christ, uh, Christ, all this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting man's sins against them. Again, we've got these problems, these signs that we were all guilty. And He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As through God, we were making His appeal through us. We implore on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made Him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the beauty of it. There is nothing 
There's nothing in us that is truly good. We are all bad. We are all sinners at birth. We are all fallen. We are all guilty. We are all condemned. Here it is. My state of grace that I stand before God is not done by any sacrament or righteousness that I do, but by the sacrifice and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The only quality that counts is the quality that Christ had. He was perfect for someone like you and I who are not perfect. What we need the most is His righteousness. To get to God, it's not me doing righteous things. It's not me doing sad. It's not me getting my life all cleaned up. I will still fail. And God accepts me based upon not how good I am, <laughs> no, but on the righteousness of Christ. In fact, in the book of Acts, Jesus several times is called the Holy One, the Righteous One. Christ lived righteousness, died an atoning death, where He provides righteousness for you and I. Christ is our righteousness. So let me end with this. Sorry to break the news to you. Guess what? You're bad. And you deserve condemnation. And it's only through the beauty of Christ that God accepts us. It's not our righteousness. It's not like, okay, now we're made righteous and we're all squeaky clean. No, 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 no. God still looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ. And I love how Jeremiah says it. You will be called the Lord our righteousness. Turn to Christ. His righteousness to us by faith. That's how we come. So we can be declared righteous before Him. Well, we got these problems. But it's only through the righteousness of Christ that covers over that that God accepts Truly, He is worthy to praise. Amen? Truly, we have something to sing about and proclaim to the nations. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You. Even before Adam and Eve did their stuff, even when they were walking in unity with You in the garden, You knew. You knew what was to come. And you already set in plan, set in motion, because you're in control, a way for salvation. And I thank you, God, that Christianity is completely opposite than every other religion in this world. Because every other religion is about working yourself, making yourself better, reaching a state of bliss or nirvana, or, or doing different things to make themselves appease to their God. God, You knew we couldn't do it. Instead, even in Jeremiah, You said, oh, I'm, I'm going to take care of them. They can't be righteous. So I'm sending the Messiah. And He won't just be righteous. He will be their 
righteousness forward. God, you did what I could not do. And I thank you. And I cling to that truth. Be glorified, Lord, in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing our last song.
serious. Is it recording right now?